Hey, Happy New Year. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Good morning. Uh, my name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church, and I'm happy to see you all this morning. I hope you all weren't partying too late uh, last night and were able to get some rest. And uh, if you didn't get some rest and are still here, kudos to you, folks. Kudos to you. Um, glad y'all are here. If you are a guest or if uh, the first time you came was Christmas and Christmas Eve and we haven't had a chance to say hello, I'd love to say hi to you at the end of the service. So come in the back. I'll be under the exit sign. I'd love to hear your name a little bit more about uh, how you ended up in Chatham County and what your experience was like with us this morning. Um, uh, because Christmas Eve was last Saturday, uh, we usually take some space after Christmas Eve to sort of close down the office and give our staff some time off. So I had a little bit more time on my hands this past week. Obviously, did a little bit of work so I could be ready for y'all this morning. But uh, no meetings meant lots of free space, and you know I wanted to use that space. Uh, efficiently and effectively, so I tried to catch up on some shows and maybe pick up some new shows, some some entertainment, and uh, I, I caught a few episodes of a show called Paper Girls. I'm only a couple of episodes in, so uh, please keep that in mind regarding whatever I say about this show. I'm only a couple of episodes in. Uh, it's a show on Amazon Prime, and the main characters are four teenage girls who uh, deliver newspapers, hence the title of the show, in 1988. And through a series of events, they end up time traveling and becoming embroiled in an ongoing conflict for the fate of humanity and the future of the world. And one of the things that happens early on in one of the episodes is that they end up encountering a future version of one of their group uh, named Aaron. And these two, right, the sort of the protagonist and the future version of her, they have a number of interactions, and the younger one realizes that life doesn't turn out the way she thinks it will, the way she's planning for it to turn out, the way she thinks it should turn out. The career path that she's taken is different. The relationships that she hoped to have are different. Life is different. And you can see disappointment build up in the younger Aaron's face. You can see even some anger, some contempt, some frustration at her older counterpart. And while this is happening, you can see the older counterpart experience a little bit of shame at this, a little bit of shame at this. You can see some frustration. You know, one of the things she says is that you don't even know what you want really at your age. You can see some frustration and you can see that the younger version doesn't understand this, but you also see in the older version some sadness. Some sadness because she's realizing that when she was young, she had all these dreams, and these dreams just didn't come to fruition. There were all these longings that went unfulfilled. She's reminded that life hasn't turned out the way she hoped it would, the way she thought it would. And that's kind of a universal principle, right? Life rarely turns out exactly how we thought it would or how we hoped it would. That's certainly true with our younger versions. I thought I would be an astronaut. That clearly has not happened. Um, but sometimes it's, it's, it's as easy as the things we hoped for last year didn't come to fruition. The things we longed for haven't happened. Life rarely turns out exactly how we hoped it would. There's always some variability. And sometimes that variability is good. And sometimes that variability is not. Things don't always turn out how you thought it would or how you hoped they would, how you longed they would, how you strived for. Sometimes they don't even turn out 
how you prayed they would. Maybe you put in all the work. Maybe you did your part, and the result didn't match what you thought it would. It didn't turn out how it should have. And Maybe some things now feel out of reach. Maybe it feels like time has run out. What do we do with that? What do we do with that realization that some things, some longings, some hopes, some prayers might feel now out of reach? Might feel like time has run out. And if it's true that all of us experience that, that all of us experience that variability, that sense that things didn't turn out as we hoped they would, that prayers didn't get answered when we thought they would or when we thought they should, how does joy factor in? And when I say joy, just to remind us, I mean this sense of satisfaction, this sense of gladness that is steadfast, even in situations that would invite hopelessness or despair. How does joy factor into that? How does the belief that all things and all manner of things will be well, how does it find place or how does it, 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 it interact with the reality that some hopes don't come to fruition, it seems? Or some dreams run out of time. Or some prayers don't get answered when we thought they would or should. How does it factor into that reality? Well, to close out our series that, we've t- that we titled Unspeakable Joy, we're going to look at a story that has unfulfilled longing in it. It has unfulfilled prayer in it. It even has time seemingly running out in it. And then God intervenes. And God intervenes and things change. Perhaps as we start 2023, God might want to intervene in one of those areas of unfulfilled hope or unfulfilled longing or unanswered prayer, even if it feels like time has run out. Consider that as we read today from Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can look that up. And if you don't happen to have a Bible with you, we're going to put it on the screen. But we're going to start reading in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. Here we go. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am old. I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true 
at their appointed time. Now, right at the start of the passage, Luke gives us some key pieces of information about Zechariah and about his wife, Elizabeth. Here's what we learn about them. What we learn about them is that they are from a priestly line, both of them, right? They are deeply embedded in the religious life of the community. They are part of sort of this ongoing legacy of devotion to God. Not only that, but he is currently a priest. He is part of leading people in to worship and bringing their prayers before the Lord. It tells us that they are righteous. They are good people. They're the kind of people that would be recognized by the community as good people. They are obedient. It tells us they observe all the Lord's commands, right? They're checking all the boxes, and it says they're blameless. No one could hold anything against them, right? They're sort of ideal people, And then the last thing it tells us about them is that they're childless. Priest, righteous, blameless, childless. Do you remember when you were in school, maybe some of you are still in school, and you take these standardized tests, and one of the exercises would be a set of words, and they would say, which word doesn't belong? And you would have to pick from that set of words which one didn't fit. Well, if they had had those exercises in first century Judea, this would be one of the easier ones. Because childless did not go with righteous, priestly, obedient, blameless. It did not go. Bearing children in the first century was a sign of God's favor. It was a sign of God's blessing. That was a cultural belief that people had. And if you didn't have kids, if you weren't bearing kids, it meant something was wrong. Something was wrong with you or something was wrong in your history, in your trajectory of life, and something seemingly had not come for them. You wonder what they might have thought. You wonder what society might have thought at these people who appeared righteous, who appeared blameless, who appeared obedient, at least from the outside, though the Scripture tells us that they truly were, but they were missing one of the clear evidences that God believed that was true. And so this couple had gone through years of unanswered prayers, years of unmet longing, years of doubt, years of concern, years of maybe even dealing with people's side glances or people's indirect jabs at them. Evidently, they got a lot of things right. They got so much right in life and then didn't get one of the clearest signs that God's favor was on them. What do you do with that? And now it's long past time when that dream could be fulfilled. It's long past time where that longing could be fulfilled. It's long past time where that prayer could be answered. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? And they're at the point where nothing could seemingly change, where their story has been written. What what might they have felt? What might they have thought throughout the years? Maybe your story isn't exactly like theirs, but all of us have unmet longings, unfulfilled desires, unanswered prayers. What do we do with those? What do we do with them, especially when it seems like they're long past due? What do we do with them? I wonder if in his prayers to God, Zechariah asked. I wonder if he pleaded. I wonder if he bargained. I wonder if maybe he even questioned. What's happening, God? What do I need to do? What's happening? What's, what's happened in our past? What's happening in our present? What are we missing? 
Why haven't you shown us your favor in this way? What do we do with unmet longings, unfulfilled desires, unanswered prayers that seem long past due? Um, one of my earlier memories in life, and I remember this, I know I, don't, I can't place it exactly, but I remember it was well before I was a teenager, and I remember it feeling noteworthy because it felt odd. I remember very, very, very early on in life, one of the clearest things that I knew was going to be true about me was like, I'm going to be a father. It was a deep longing in my heart, and I knew, and I knew as a child, I was like, this is odd. Like, eight-year-old boys don't usually have that desire. I, I don't know if that's true, but I know I believe that about myself. And it was something I was like, this is odd. I must pay attention to this. And I've held that longing all throughout my life. It's been decades, friends, of an unfulfilled longing, an unfulfilled desire, an unanswered prayer. And I, know, and, and, and I get, and I get what Zechariah might have been feeling because I've prayed to the kinds of prayers where you ask God why. I've prayed the kinds of prayers where you try to bargain with God, where you plead, where you try to figure out, what do I do with this desire, this longing that I feel you have put here that hasn't happened? I've made my peace now with the sense that it might not happen, but I've had to wrestle with, what do you do? What do I do with an unfulfilled longing, an unfulfilled desire, an unanswered prayer? How do you wrestle with that? How do you deal with that seeming hole, with that seeming lack with that seeming need that's going on men. What do you do with yours? What do you do? What do you do with the things that are long past due, with the prayers that don't seem to get answered, with the desires that seem unfulfilled, with the longings that feel good and right and true, but don't seem to get met? What do you do with yours? What do you do especially when it feels like you've gotten everything right on your end? Like you've done your part but you haven't gotten out what you think you should have. I wonder if some of that is going on with Zechariah. Because it's not just like, like he's a righteous person. He's a righteous person in the core of the religious life. Right? If anyone, you could, you could write a profile, anyone who deserved to have God's favor in this particular way, man, Zechariah and Elizabeth would have stood out, and yet here they are, without that longing met, without that desire fulfilled. It's ironic because what Zechariah is doing that day as he's going into the temple to burn incense, the incense represented the prayers of the people. So he's going in to represent the prayers of the people even though he's had this long, unanswered prayer. How hard must that have been for him to bring the longings, the expectations, the dreams, the desires of people before God even though he has his that is unmet. And as he's bringing those in, an angel appears, and the angel says, your prayer has been heard. You know, I, 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 I can't imagine that it was not obvious to Zechariah what that might have been. What else could the angel be referring to? And you know, that phrase does a lot, because it's one thing to have your prayers go unanswered. It's one thing to have uh, things not go your way, but it's quite another to feel like you've been ignored. It's quite another to feel like God might have turned his back on you. And at the very least, with that statement, your prayer has been heard. He knows that God hasn't turned his back on him. That God hasn't uh, just ignored him. So let me share two statements that have buoyed me, not just in the unmet longing that I've shared before, but in all my unmet longings and all my unanswered prayers. These are two. God always hears 
and God always responds. I'll clarify that in just a second. But consider your unmet longings, your unanswered prayers, your sense of what you need, what you long for, what's unfulfilled. Hear me say clearly, God has heard. God has heard. God has heard. God is not ignoring. God has not turned his back. And God does respond. Now note that I didn't say answer. Note that I didn't say speak. Note that I didn't say give what we ask for. And note that I didn't say immediately. Some of those things are hard. But God does respond. God does respond. God is present. In fact, one of the promises that Jesus gives to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, it's a promise that extends to us, is that through the Holy Spirit, he would be with them always. And that promise extends to us as well. Those of us who've chosen to follow Jesus have the Holy Spirit dwelling with us, which means God's presence is always with us. God is with us in our longing. God is with us in our hope. God is with us in our prayers. God is with us in the groans that we have that we can't even verbalize. God is with us even as we're waiting. The Spirit interacts. The Spirit communicates. God always responds. God always hears. He's never far away, and He always responds. It may take time to feel that response, to sense that response, but God never fails. God never fails. And he's doing that for Zechariah in this passage. He is responding to a prayer that Zechariah may have stopped praying years ago because what's the point? What's the point at this juncture to continue to pray that prayer or to hold that longing? God responds. And he's not just responding, but he's telling him that the prayer he stopped praying is going to be answered that the thing he thought was long past due is actually going to be given to him. The longing was going to be fulfilled. And not only was the longing going to be fulfilled, but in the way it was going to be fulfilled, it was going to play a pivotal role in God's work of redemption for humanity. That's far more than probably what Zechariah could have hoped for or asked for. And Zechariah gets to be part of God's redemptive work in humanity. What an amazing opportunity. What an amazing opportunity is being handed to Zechariah after so many years of waiting and longing and hoping and not having that met, maybe even giving up hope. What an amazing opportunity. And then Zechariah speaks. And you know, I think this was one of those moments where it probably would have been better if Zechariah would have taken a beat and paused and considered what he was about to say before speaking because he's told that his wife is going to have a son, and his response is, how can I be sure? Now, I've never been a pregnant woman, nor have I ever been married to a pregnant woman, and I know that there are exceptions, but it seems to me that if your wife is pregnant, the odds are that at some point, it is going to become obvious. At some point, you're going to know. And if you don't know during the pregnancy, after nine months or so, you're going to know. You're going to know. You're going to be sure. But still he asks, how can I be sure? And I wonder if in that question there is something deeper. 
I wonder if in that question are caught up all the years of waiting, all the years of prayer, all the years of sadness, all the years of disappointment. Perhaps the long delay, even to the point where it would have seemed impossible. Perhaps that has eroded Zechariah's belief in what God can do and what God will do, what God is able to do. Maybe it has chipped away at Zechariah's belief that God will follow through on his promises. Perhaps that's why he asks, how can I be sure? Perhaps his faith tank, his belief tank is low. Now, I don't believe that God disappoints. I believe that God is faithful to his promise. I believe that God fulfills what he says he is going to do. But I know that our experience doesn't always feel like that's true. And I know we get disappointed at God. I know we get disappointed because our expectation of what God will do or what God should do isn't always met. And we experience disappointment. We may direct it at God. We may develop questions about why God did or didn't do something. And one of the worst things we could do with that disappointment that might emerge or those questions that might rise up is ignore them or minimize them. Because unaddressed disappointment and unprocessed questions can chip away at our belief of what God can do and what God will do. And here's the thing that's interesting. It may not chip away at our belief in general of what God can do and will do, but it may chip away at our belief of what God can and will do for us. We may say, well, that's, you know, God clearly works that way in other people's lives, but he doesn't in mine. He doesn't in mine. And if we don't engage in order to address these things, in order to process them, we may find ourselves like Zechariah, unable to give God our yes when he does respond, when he invites us to take the next step. Because what what essentially happens in those situations is that our trust in God gets eroded. Our trust in God gets strained. Our trust in God um, gets shaken. And God's invitation, God's responses always require trust. They always require trust. But trust is risky. And if we haven't addressed the past, we won't be able to trust the next time. If we haven't addressed the past, we won't be able to trust the next time. There was a person who had been uh, in, engaging with our church and was having a hard time really buying in, really committing, really giving themselves, really trusting. They'd had some difficult interactions with people in the church. And I started to talk to this person and uh, I realized that this person had a past where there was significant church and family trauma and the family trauma was connected to religion. It was connected to faith. And this person had had this question, where was God? in the midst of all those situations. She knew that her present experience was good. She knew it wasn't like her past experience, but there was a block there that was keeping her from fully engaging. And in fact, it was causing her to almost self-sabotage her experience. So she took time. She took time to work through decades of unprocessed disappointment, of unprocessed questions, of unprocessed lots of stuff. And she worked hard to stay connected. And the community was with her in the midst of that. She worked through some stuff, and she's still working through some stuff, but it's night and day already. 
as she's taking step after step after step of continuing to trust in God and grow in her faith. And the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing is God meets her. What I love about this passage, as we see Zechariah's moment of doubt, his moment of disbelief, his moment where it becomes maybe apparent that there's disappointment that hasn't been worked through, maybe questions that haven't been answered, is that that moment does not cause God to rescind his promise. Note that what happens isn't, well, you didn't believe, so now no kid. That's not what God does. That would be ungracious of God. But it does mean that Zechariah is going to have to work on what produced that doubt, what produced that disbelief, because God needs him to be fully engaged with what happens next. Fully given, fully trusting. So God gives him a gift. It may not feel like a gift to him, and it may not feel like a gift in the passage, but it is a gift. He gives them the gift of silence. He gives him the gift of waiting, of waiting for the promise to come to fulfill, fulfill him, but also waiting for the ability to talk to be returned. So he's got something to do as he waits. He's got to work on what's going on inside of him, work on the questions, work on the doubt, work on the uncertainty. What could we do as we wait for God to respond? What could we do as we bring something before the Lord, a longing, a hope, a prayer, and we wait for him to respond? What work might God want to do in us? Time and silence, time and waiting often provides space for us to do the inner work that's necessary in order to participate fully in whatever comes next. There's trust that's always required when God responds and invites there's always trust that's required. There's something that we're going to be invited into, and sometimes we need to do inner work to be ready for it, to make sure we've processed our disappointment, make sure we've engaged with our questions, make sure we've, you fill in the blank on whatever you need, but God wants us to be ready to fully trust for what's next. Zechariah needs it. We need it as well. And that time... That silence does work in Zechariah. Let's see what it does. It says here, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going uh, to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives that has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. He began to speak, praising God. Here's the child. The child that he thought would never come is here. The prayer that he thought was long past being answered has been answered. The longing that he thought would be unfulfilled forever has been fulfilled. And God has told him that this child is going to play a role in God's redemptive work. He's going to be set apart for a special task. can't imagine that might be easy for Zechariah to deal with. To have this, this thing he's been waiting for, for for so long and be told, yes, you've been waiting for it, but, but John is going to have a greater purpose. 
You're going to have to hold him loosely. You're going to have to entrust him back to God. I can't imagine that would have been easy. I can't imagine it would be easy for me. But there doesn't seem to be any hesitation from Zechariah at this point. When he gives him the name he was instructed to give him by the angel, when he names him John, rather than give him a family, part of what he's doing is saying, I don't possess this child. I hold him with open hands. He is the Lord's. It's his sign of saying, I'm with you, God. The months in silence have not been in vain. They have not been a punishment. They've been a space for him to do the work. And he's done the work. At the start, his encounter with the angel, he's not able to demonstrate joy. He demonstrates disbelief. But by this point, after the time in silence, he's able to burst forth in joy. Burst forth in joy and praise. It says it in this passage, but also we studied a few weeks ago how the first thing, he, the, 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 he, he gives this prophetic declaration of praise to God for what he's going to do in redemption. And he blesses his son for the hard work his son is going to be called to do. He is fully bought in. He is ready to trust. He is ready to bless. A long-held prayer has been answered. A longing has been fulfilled. God responded and the fruit was joy-filled praise. As we start 2023, I'd like to invite us to consider engaging God around an unfulfilled longing, around an unanswered prayer. And I realize this is risky. I realize for some of us that means accessing a place that may be painful, that maybe feels sore. I'm engaging with one as well. I'm inviting us to engage around a long-held prayer or a deep longing. And what I'd like us to do is to wait for him to respond. I don't know how long it's going to take for God to respond to you. I don't know how long it's going to take for God to respond to me. But I know God is going to respond because that's what he does. I'd like to invite us to wait to respond and then see what happens. And then see what happens. I want to invite us into a space of vulnerability and trust because I believe in that space there will ultimately be joy. So here's the question. I want you to consider what joy might God want to grow in you this year through longing, praying, and waiting. Those things don't often feel associated with joy. But God does something in the longing, in the praying, and the waiting of Zechariah. And he might do it in us as well. I want to give you some time to consider what that is. You've been given two index cards. Uh, for now, you only need one. We're going to create some space in a moment for you to consider what you might want to long for and pray for this year. And I want you to write it on this index card for yourself. You don't have to do it now. I'm going to create some space. Let me give you all the instructions. And I'm going to invite you to take this with you and put it in a place where you can see it. No one else needs to see it or where you remember to look at it so that you remember what you're waiting for what you're longing for, what you're hoping for, what you're praying for this year. And then just see how God responds. Now you notice you have a second index card as well. This is an invitation that's not a requirement. If you want to invite us as church leadership to pray with you, to wait with you, to long with you, you can fill the second one. 
Write the same thing. Then I'll tell you where to put it in just a second. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to long with you because we'd love to share in the joy when God responds. When God responds. If, you need a, if a sentence might be helpful, here's a sentence, a prayer you could pray. God, develop joy in me as I wait, long, pray for blank. That blank is what you'd put on the card so that I might be able to, res- to praise you wholeheartedly when you respond. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it as part of communion. Communion is something we do frequently. We do it regularly at the beginning of the month. And uh, what's going to happen is I have, I've invited some hosts that are going to come up to the tables in just a second. And you'll notice today, if you've been here with us before, there is a basket at each of the communion stations. So if you want to invite us to pray with you, what I'm going to invite you to do is when you come up to get your communion elements, is to fold it in half, put it in the basket, and then take your communion elements. You'll go back to your seats and we'll take communion together. Again, this is not a requirement. Filling one is already risky. I know that. Filling the second one is, an even, is a different kind of risk. But it's a risk that we'd be glad, a prayer that we'd be glad to hold with you. So again, you can fill out in one what you're putting in the blank for yourself. If you want to invite us to join you in prayer, you fill out the second one and bring it up when you come get the communion elements. I'm going to invite our um, hosts to come to the communion tables. If you are on the way with Jesus, I invite you to take communion with us today. Here's how it's going to happen. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, uh, Eva's going to come and lead us in a song. Once she starts singing the lyrics, you can come up and get the elements. If you want to deposit your index card, you can do that as well. You get uh, the gluten-free cracker and the grape juice. You go and sit down, and uh, at a particular moment in the song, I'll come up and I'll lead us in the taking of the elements. Let me pray for us as we bring our longing, our prayer, our hope before the Lord this year. Lord Jesus, thank you that you hear. Thank you that you respond. Thank you that even though some of the longings and prayers feel like they're long past due, you are the God of miracles. Nothing is beyond your reach. Nothing is beyond your reach. Lord, this is a tender spot. It's a spot of vulnerability. But Lord, I want you to start bringing up in us what you're inviting us to long for this year what you're inviting us to hope for this year, what you're inviting us to pray for this year. Lord, it might be a tender spot. It might be a spot where there's pain. Lord, meet us in that spot. Invite us into trust, God. Invite us into trust that we might see how you meet us as we wait, as we long, as we pray. Lord, that we might praise you when you respond when you show up, when you give what you're going to give. Lord, as a community, we want to pray not only as individuals, but we want to pray together. Lord, there are some sisters and brothers here, including myself, that need the community to pray with them. Lord, many of us are private. We don't like to share what's going on. Would you nudge us so that we might fill out that second index card today? Renew our hope, God. Renew our expectation. Renew our longing. In Jesus' name, amen.